Welcome to the monthly podcast, The Wealth of Generations. If you like to build true wealth for generations, this podcast is for you. Yeah, tell me, Christina, uh, Wealth of Generations, uh, what what were you um, most intrigued about? No, I think it's a... Uh... I think it's a really, really good book. I think it's the book that everybody should have when they when they leave school at the age of 18. It's a it's a financial literacy book. And it teaches you about financial literacy, not only from the perspective of thinking about how am I going to make money, but actually the um, what kind of person do you need to be in order to be able to to create wealth, because wealth and assets are, are, are different things. Um, uh, and wealth and net worth are also this different thing as, as we know. And I think from a female perspective, I connected with the book because uh, it's, uh, you know, everybody kind of are, are I, I kind of grew up being, you know, being six years old and I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And then when I was 12, I said I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had no entrepreneurs in my family. Um, but I had a very kind of encouraging father, uh, who was kind of, um, really invested in my, my, my interests and my, my abilities and my creativity. So he kind of stimulated my creativity and he's kind of, well, you know, you, you go with, with, you know, you can do anything literally, you know, your, your own inner limits is, is your only restriction. So I grew up with this ability to think, you know, first of all, outside the box and being very creative because my father was an inventor. Um, and having parents who'd, who'd kind of taken a stance against normal life of gathering um, a lot of assets, but living a very rich life. You know, we lived in an urban farm, you know, grew most of our vegetables, um, you know, uh, spent a lot of time together as a family, surrounded by books, you know, made most of things. We didn't buy a lot of stuff. My, my grandmother was a tailor, so of course they didn't buy any clothes. Um, and, uh, my, my, my grandfather was a butcher. Um, so the meat was either, you know, shot and hunted or, and brought to the table. So I grew up in this kind of very, um, arts and crafty space and place where you have to make everything yourself. So mm -hmm. I grew up in this environment, you know, thinking that, well, if I'm going to have to make money, uh, or make a living, I get, I have to make it myself. So I wasn't brought up in a culture where you kind of have to buy things. So this whole idea of going out and buying things for me. So I actually know how to do everything. You know, it's like uh, from everything from making lace to making uh, uh, the broth to making clothes to making the pattern for the clothes for making an iglo for, you know, shifting the spark plugs to growing vegetables. I just have this kind of skill sets which somehow kind of have been lost in society this kind of artisan culture this artisan skill set um and this skill set is kind of understanding that if you're going to make money you have to make something yourself not buy it and then once you know understand how to make it yourself you can actually sell it to others and scale it but you so cannot, I, right you cannot do everything yourself right no no you can't do everything yourself but you know that's the other thing and I learned that from a very young age because one of the first things my father asked me to do when I was about six years old, and this was kind of this transformative moment where he asked me to weed the dandelions out of the, of the 
of the grass plane in our garden. And I just looked at this. I'm six years old. There's so many, there's so many, uh, you know, dandelions. But can I see that kind of end goal? I would get a pot of gold, you know, which I can go to the, the shop and buy candy for. And I figured out, well, but I also want to play with my friends. So I kind of roped in every single friend in my neighborhood to actually do the dandelion picking. I weeded every single dandelion out of that, you know, grass plane with my friends. And then I gave them a share of the the kind of the 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 returns of that we got. Mm-hmm. And uh, and from there I can understood, well, that's kind of what entrepreneurs do. Mm-hmm. That for me was the starting point of the entrepreneurial journey. To, to be able to to achieve your goal whether it's yeah for me that, that that end you know I want to go to the to the store I want to buy some sweets I want to save some money in in my uh, piggy bank but I also want to share my returns with my friends and if I actually do this with my friends I can spend more time with my friends actually playing than if I was actually doing you know something else and this kind of triggered for me this kind of whole journey of of you know the idea of being an entrepreneur in businesses entrepreneur social entrepreneur and kind of impact investor and it really changed the outlook of my life and um and put me on a on a path of uh, studying economics and business studies and you know social entrepreneurship but also looking at you know what are the challenges in society and how can we use um you know, economic strategy or, or uh, restorative economics or, um, you know, collaborative innovation to actually solve problems in society. So it's like, that's the challenge. How am I going to solve it? I can work with others to solve it. I find the solution and I share the returns in in having the ability to find the solution and delivering the solution and everybody benefits. Mm. So for me, for me, that was kind of the transformative moment. And um, it turned me into a community developer. Um, I, you know, became very interested in innovation. I became interested in identifying and articulating challenging, and then looking for ways to solve those challenging and challenges in a very collaborative manner. Um, and studying innovation not from an R&D perspective in terms of this is what's happening inside the business and then we have to sell the idea to other people but the idea is actually coming from the people and then kind of you know switching the innovation pipeline so that the innovations and the ability to solve problems collectively actually happens outside the business and then building the pipeline back into businesses to mm-hmm. to make them more innovation driven but also grounded in the, in the context which would you know where they're they're in um and it put me on the path of looking for um you know transforming businesses into being um value and and equitably you know values driven in so many ways, because I could see that those businesses who were values driven, that had a more kind of diverse environment where problems were solved by my more diverse people, they kind of did much, much better. So what was interesting about the book is the fact that you talk about the seven, you know, there is a seven levers of change, but there is kind of the 14 levers of change, you know, and you have the seven, well, you know, working on your internal uh, stuff is more, it's just as important as working on, on the other stuff, you know, in the investor levels, I yeah, on the investor levels. So the, the the inner, the heart, and the mind need to be connected with you know with, with yourself and who you are, because the the investments that you make need to be meaningful for you, and it has to create meaning and meaningfulness in society as well. Mm-hmm. 
And I like the idea also when you talk about the the uh, the legacy creation, you know, because one of the things, you know, once you have children, how do you pan- pass on the notion of financial literacy? You know, how do you how do you pass on wealth from one generation to the next? And the fact that you know you have to suspend your own kind of immediate need for for satisfying your own needs to creating, you know, to take this more long term approach to creating something, you know, that is of that, that can benefit generations for. You know, for, you know, for seven generations, not just yourself, and this create this. This is also the need for having this kind of, you know, what is it that I really need? Yeah, and you don't need very much. Literally, you know, yeah. you need very little um, in, in in your day to day life, and and the idea of well, you know, to meet your needs, you know, you well having a vegetable garden, you know, and and having these passive assets that you can kind of draw upon you know thinking about the fact that you know you need to create wealth in terms of passive assets that can generally take this kind of passive income which frees up your mind to kind of do other things because when you're constantly working 14 hours a day mm. um in ways in, in corporates and organizations which are kind of not done not run in a very sufficient manner i mean with the values you, you sometimes don't agree with and the governance framework which is definitely uh not the way it should be and with managers who kind of sometimes act lack values and governing principles that you don't you know abide by and you get to a certain age in life and you have children it's like no (laughs) and I was kind of reading a book and I was like thinking my god do I identify with this you know uh so that's what I liked about because it's like well it's my parents my grandparents this is my history and I did all these things, you know, I was working, I was a wage slave like everybody else, but mm-hmm. I freed myself from the, from the shackles of, of kind of being a wage slave. And, and yeah, wage slave. I started, Word. yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it's, it's, uh, it was really, really interesting. And, um, and, and it's kind of, it, you, then you get to that kind of point in life where you kind of, uh, the starting point where you kind of start on this journey of, of, of kind of wealth creation. And I came to that place, you know, spot as well. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's very interesting. And I think it's very interesting for me being a woman as well, because as a woman, you never taught the, uh, you know, you, there's no, nothing in school that teaches you about wealth creation, no, you know, whether it's the inner I, wealth or the, the, the financial wealth or thinking about wealth creation in general or wealth creation in partnership with other people. Uh, it's completely lost and financial literacy mm-hmm. is not even in our, in our curriculum. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's, it's just not there. Mm-hmm. And when I was thinking about, it, we taught so many things, you know, we taught English and French and math and, and all these kind of, you know, very kind of not so useful skills, but of course they're useful, but for nations, it doesn't take corporations there. Yeah. Corporations and nations. Yeah. Corporations and nations, but this kind of financial personal literacy training, which is, right. which is about wealth creation, which is, um, uh, uh, thinking, taking a longer perspective and, and also, you know, the, the wealth creation, you know, from the perspective of a, of a family, you know, talking about financial tr- literacy with your children and, and how they look at wealth creation and how they look at, you know, you know, what do you want to spend your life doing? Mm-hmm. 
And the fact that we all put on this kind of path of, yeah, you're going to get a job, you're going to get a house, you're going to get a mortgage, you, you, you're going to work yourself to death. And then everybody's looking at, well, one day I will get retired and then I can live my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> such a, if you're lucky. <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky. And it's such a, the, the kind of the whole mythology of this. Yeah. Uh, I've, I just feel like I've, I've kind of broken every single boundary in my life that I could possibly break, you know, from coming from a small village and my parents kind of wore kids and didn't go to university, didn't have the opportunity to go to university. They educated themselves, you know, through the, because of the war, you know, my father became a naval officer and, and worked in the, you know, in the, in the as a mean sweep, minesweeper in the second world war. My, my mother became a nurse. Mm-hmm. My family kind of hosted people from the resistance movement in Denmark. You know, my, my, uh, my father, my mother's brother fought in the resistance movement in Norway against the, the Germans. Um, you know, it's like that was there as well. So they educated themselves to the level that they could. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the first generation that kind of went to university. I'm the first generation that kind of traveled abroad. I, I ran businesses in the Middle East. I worked mm-hmm. in Saudi. I gave uh, presentations from, the, you know, with the minister of Pakistan on, on the importance of, of creating an innovation culture. Um, I was with FIFA. I've been with Lego. I was with IOC. Yeah. You know, it's like and you're in UN involvement. You were in the UN. Yeah, in the United Nations and doing all these things. Um, but I think, you know, we should we should have financial literacy should really be um, at the at the core of of what we do as children, as you know, as we grow up as as human beings, because how we invest our time and money is what's influencing the world to look the way it does today. Yeah. And if we don't invest my, our time and money in the right way, we, we're creating organizations which are harming the world more than they, they actually do good. And I know this is kind of a very philosophical level, but the, um, and, and the, what you put your money into, the assets that you, you know, asset allocation in terms of what you, what you place your money in will influence your life and other people's lives and, and the environment as well. Yeah. So um, you think about the subtitle of the book, Building Wealth Without the Need for uh, Skilled Labor. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's, it's spot on because you're, you're, you're yeah, Is yeah, it I, provocative maybe? No, because we are preparing ourselves for uh, the whole kind of uh, the implementation of the flexible firm model where there, mm-hmm. there's going to be very few asset owners and, the whole idea that you have to be skilled to be uh, to, to build businesses or, I mean, yeah, well, it's kind of, it's the idea that, you know, you can, you can, you can, any, anybody can be uh, an entrepreneur. Anybody can be a social entrepreneur and it's all about your determination. And it's, it's about, you know, putting in the time, putting in the, suspending the the wealth that you kind of create today to have a better life tomorrow and anybody can do that so it's not about skilled labor it's just about building your your expertise or interest in one area um 
And in the future, you know, because of AI and because of everything else, the traditional jobs that we see today, where we have the the the, the labor machinery kind of producing assets for for a few, and as you right rightly say, the assets doesn't flow downwards; it only flows upwards. So having the opportunity to for each one of us to be our own wealth creators. Mm-hmm and the the drivers of our own futures and our own destinies and i think you know that that is needs to be the core and the fact that this happens in communities of people who are you know very similar to to ourselves and working in partnerships and and collaborating so yeah there, there's a lot to be said about this book it's kind of really hit the nail for me you know mm-hmm. Because it's such a personal journey, I've I kind of felt that I, I I've been through that journey myself. Wow! Yeah, yeah I, didn't, uh, I didn't know that about you, uh, but I, no. I noticed your interest in the book, and so it, yeah. it's a nail for you on the head. Mm. Nice. So um, yeah, so it it's it's just something that that uh, it's for me. It's the um, the need to think about this from a much earlier age, the, to package it, to get people to, to understand it, to mm-hmm. um, the whole idea about well-being, well-being also being, you know, at the core of this. And and you know, if you if you're if you're a good person, you know, you do good business. Um, and if your if your values are good, then how you invest your money and your capital is also ge- going to generate, you know, goodness. You mm-hmm. know, um, and I see that a lot as well because I see a lot of investments and I see a lot of you know money flowing in different directions. But um, but then I mostly work with private equity and family offices. And family offices is kind of very different from the you know the venture venture vulture, vultures as I call them. Mm-hmm. Um, which is all about you know focusing on return investment and you know when can I get an exit and maybe it's in three years. So mm-hmm. family offices is, is an interesting you know um, space because they they take a long term stake. You know they look at seven generations ahead and the assets that they invest in needs to be you know gel with their culture, their values, their governance principles and ethics and equity. And they kind of look at themselves as as uh, you know they're working on restoration restoring society and restoring values and restoring some of the the issues that the kind of the venture capitalists have um have created well family so, offices what is that in your explanation <clears throat> family office is somebody it could be a single or a multiple family office but it's usually like uh, you talk about asset classes. So it would be people who've who've set up businesses, you know, first, second, third generation. Mm-hmm. Families have inherited it, and they have enough equity not only to kind of run the business, but also invest in other businesses. And what you find is that um, a lot of family offices invest in other businesses and develop assets right. because they've been through certain challenges and frustrations in society, and now they suddenly see that the opportunity for to give back to the community mm-hmm. so they are kind of looked upon as as um uh what you'd say um basically you know uh, role models in society so because they have access excess capital to invest you know people come to them and ask you know mm-hmm. would you like to invest in my business so they move from being uh, business owners to being um, impact investors 
because offices are they are they uh is there a kind of a wealth management uh thing no no. Yeah, well, it, it's not. It's it's well, it's kind of wealth management, but it's not like a fund manager. But they have their own internal funds, you could say. And these family are family wealth management. Yeah, it's family wealth. So it's the placement of family wealth, which does good to society, and and they're very much interested in job creation. You know, that's their focus: job creation. You know, wealth, wellness, health. You know, building healthy societies. So. They they take a completely different approach to um, to investments and, and wealth creation. You said um, wealth. You said job creation. What do you think of this idea or the prospect of like, that all jobs will be eliminated by? In the book, it says 2060, uh, starting 2060, or basically starting now. Um, yeah. Already started uh, 30 years ago, but um, like it's in the process of. Do you think there is a change? Is that too provocative to say that all jobs are going to be eliminated by AI, robots, and blockchain? No, well, it's kind of, I wouldn't say all jobs. I would say jobs which can easily be standardized, which is part of the old economy. I would probably say that, you know, you're going to need even more um, consciousness, you know, because what's missing with AI and the algorithms today is that they don't understand language. They understand language from a very restrictive uh, grammatical perspective where we kind of divide or look at language or our understanding of language by, by dividing language into very traditional uh, lexical items such as nouns, adjectives, and pronouns and things like that. But, well, but the way we... So, yeah. So that's how I see the problem is kind of, that's why you're using banks, you use a lot of sentiment analyses, but the way language works is that you, it's understand, it's understanding language from an argument perspective. And, and yeah, but that's what uh, GPT-3 does now. That's the whole, you know, they developed this, this machine in California, uh, yeah. which has 175 billion uh, parameters, which is basically neurons um, in the brain. And, and that and people even say they develop consciousness. Now the, the AI can develop consciousness. The question is when it's going to be proven that they did. It's hard to yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah. But I think for me, the consciousness is understanding what is absent and and filling that absent with the the important that needs to be present. You know, and then future proofing the present by adding the absent. Um, to to build a future that is future proof already today and i know this is a very complex statement but and therefore for me consciousness needs to be you know for me is defined by the absent and the absent for me in the ai that we see today is everything to to, to do with empathy and and these kind of um touch feel yeah well they don't have ai will never have the experience a human has growing no. up being a child having mm. a body, you know, that grows and all of that. They cannot, empathy means like you can kind of no. understand, meaning like uh, have the same experience kind of. Uh, that, yes, that, that will never happen. And that's the danger because if AI becomes so capable, uh, like GPT-3 writes mm. essays already, uh, mm. GPT-3 grammarly, you know, it, uh, it puts things in context and, and uh, tells you, you know, to restructure your sentence because humans understand that better. Uh, and and there, I mean, there are other applications which are just like mind blowing right now. But, and you can even have a discussion with GPT-3 
like like almost like a person and the person even jokes mm. <laughs> i have seen videos they interview gpt3 and the, and the, and the dr- jokes about certain things yeah then, but, yeah yeah i think so but at the same time i think we need the like the caretaking elements it's going to be very difficult to outsource like the, the touch and the feel yeah. you know what we have with our hearing what we have with our seeing and our senses because it's yeah that's going to take some time i'm not saying that it will not come but it will definitely take some time Uh, and i think the humans such as you know you can have um a robot or you know ai sophistication deliver Mm um the food to children but the caretaking yeah. elements is is cannot be um but here, here's the distinction that i'm hopefully making my book you know there's a difference between ai replaces everything about humans yeah. that's not what that's not what what uh what 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 the question is for me the question is how do people make a living like are they selling the work that they do are they mm. getting paid for it like mm-hmm. nurses, as you say, you know, they have empathy and they need to, the touch is important and uh, the human connection, even like for, with nurses, uh, with older people. Um, but the question is, you know, we have certain uh, tasks that can be done automatically. Um, mm-hmm. and, and now all the people are like nurses, let's say, you know, nurses, they, they're all these technology, technology inventions uh, that can improve and, and lessen the, the work uh, of a nurse, for mm-hmm. example. Um, but then uh, the question is, at what point can a nurse, you know, go to work and make enough money, have enough hours to spend to make mm-hmm. enough money for themselves, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the question is not like the, AI will definitely not become a human unless we merge with the technology. Yeah. Um, but but the question is, can we make a living? Is it a job? It, it, can we make a living selling our skills anymore? Is is you know the question is 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 AI replacing the jobs? And and then of course they are not replacing them in that sense. But at least from a uh, money making perspective, there is all mm-hmm. other elements that humans add to the whole you know, story. Uh, and, and that is going to, of course, that's going to go away, but humans are not going away. No, humans no. are still here. The question is how much money do they get what they do? Is that enough money to be able to support them financially and their families? And that's the concern I have in my book. And what are we mm. going to do? You know, a truck driver, for example, right? When the truck uh, is driven on a highway by AI, Let's mm. say that's 80, 90% a truck driver does driving on a highway. Mm. But there's 20% where it drives into the lot and the exit and, you know, and gas and, you know, unloads and all of that. Uh, the question is, you know, then we only have 20% of the work that's left uh, for truck drivers. And, you know, is there enough work that, you know, all these truck drivers can have when there's only 20% work left? Thank you for listening to the Wealth of Generations podcast. This interview will be continued in the next part.